the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed, and a good morning to you. Thank you for joining us. At 10 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock, as we get ready to rock and roll, it's a Thursday. It's the 17th morning of the 11th month of the year of our Lord, 2022. And before we get started today, I want to say thank you. What a tremendous event we had last night in Northfield out at uh, Liberty Valley Church. Thank you to Pastor Jeff. Thank you to Pastor George for your hospitality and hosting our Citizens for Free Beach Town Hall meeting last night. It was a national town hall. We had some glitches, you know. I hate that we have become Zoom Nation. I really do. Our in-person event was terrific. Nearly a full house. Uh, great, great uh, presentation by Tom DeWeese. Uh, and uh, and, and it, was, it was really great in person. We had some glitch, glitchy things going on with the audio uh, blasting out to the nationwide audience that may have been watching <clears throat> Um, via Zoom, and I, I just hate being Zoom Nation because we're so reliant upon it, and it is always so flawed. It is always a problem. It's just one thing after another after another. Last night it was background noise, I'm told. There's a setting on Zoom that says get rid of background noise that nobody ever knew about, and we were 20, 30, 40 minutes in before people realized uh, what was going on and how to how to stop that. So 
uh, I wanted to, because people asked me before we left Northfield last night, <clears throat> um, will this be recorded and posted? And yes, it was recorded, and yes, it will be posted, and yes, it will be shared probably throughout our email. We'll send out an email link to all of our um, Citizens for Free Speech members. Um, but just know that some of the audio isn't going to be great because of uh, because of what I just described. But Tom DeWeese's presentation was great. I wanted to make sure it's recorded, too. I was there, and I was a part of it, and I hosted it, but uh, <clears throat> I couldn't remember everything that Tom DeWeese covered uh, regarding the Great Reset because he covered it from top to bottom and side to side and stem to stern and all of those things and pillar to post. And it was so detailed and so informative and, quite frankly, so frightening. Uh, it was really hard to keep it all straight. Uh, but there is a very, very serious danger that we are facing right now in this country because of globalists uh, who have an agenda that is just really unspeakable. Uh, and that's not conspiracy theory. That's not QAnon talk. That's not any of that stuff. That's legitimate real-world stuff that Tom not only brought up yesterday but sourced very well as well. So I want that to be posted as well. We'll let you know when it happens. But thank you to everybody who came out there. And the reason I'm thanking people for <clears throat> coming out to a CFFS event on my radio show, which is not CFFS, is because everybody there raised their hand when I said, how many people here have listened to my radio show? So I know you are are a big part of this. You are involved and engaged in the things that I am trying to do, to do my small part to help, uh, you know, protect and preserve our rights, our First Amendment rights in particular, as it pertains to CFFS. And working with Patrick and, you know, with Kimberly out there in Arizona and with uh, Dan Ramada here in Ohio. And it's a very small part that I can play, but whatever I do play, I know that you're coming along with. And I love that. And I appreciate that. So all the people who came out last night, thank you. Um, I think I, I asked how many people came from within town and a few hands shot up. I said, how about 20 minutes or more of a drive? Uh, or I'm sorry, within 20 minutes of a drive and about half the room shot up, maybe a little less. Then I said, how many people came from 30 minutes or more away? And everybody else's hand went up, which is probably more than half the room. Uh, and so you came out from a distance to come and be a part of that event last night with Tom DeWeese, and I hope it was impactful and helpful to you. So thank you all very much. I, I love the fact that I asked everybody how many, because we before we did our pledge, how many people here actually stand, wherever you might be, when I say, Patriots, please rise and let's do our Pledge of Allegiance? And again, I'd say probably two-thirds of the room put their hands up. And I just, I believe you. I believe you. There's, there's no reason to virtue signal, because I'm not going to judge anybody who doesn't. I'm not going to judge anybody who's sitting in their easy chair right now. They clicked on the radio to listen to Always Right Radio, and then I say, stand up, and like, nobody's watching. I'll pretend I did. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to make you stand. But I do know so many people who do, and it means a lot to them. And uh, you you confirmed that for me last night. Most people message me with confirmation of that, and they really appreciate the uh, the knowledge and the belief that there are so many other patriots listening to the same thing they are, and we are all standing together united as if we were in the same room the way we were last night. So um, just made me feel really good to hear that. So with that said, what do you say we get it underway here, patriots? Go ahead and please rise. If you're one of the drivers right now, put your hand on your heart and join us for our Pledge of Allegiance. If you are a believer in stealing elections, and I've got new information for you about that, well, then you do not believe in anything that those stars and those stripes represent anyway. You may instead take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback and your favorite Russian national prison team uh, uh, women's basketball player. They're comfortable in that position. 
So take a knee if you don't want to be a part of this. For the rest of us, however, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right, so I need to, uh, by the way, coming up on the program, I always like to lay it out for you in uh, about an hour at 1010. We're going to talk to Dr. Everett Piper, as we do each and every Thursday. He is a general in our culture wars. Um, He's got some thoughts, by the way, on the upcoming presidential election and the new declaration by President Trump that he is back in for this go-round. And we're going to talk to Dr. Piper about that at 1010 this morning. And then at 1110, we're going to talk to Bob Anthony. The schools continue to be a source of great consternation, uh, concern, uh, because of the indoctrinators. They will not let go. They have a death grip on your children's throats, uh, uh, figuratively speaking, of course, and they're not letting go. They do not want parents to be a part of any solutions. They do not want the parents getting in the way of their indoctrination by pushing this, you know, education thing. So um, if it isn't going to work in the public schools, if it isn't going to work in some of the private schools, which are just as woke, then maybe we need to look at an entirely different option, such as a public charter school like the Northeast Ohio Classical Academy, which is being developed as we speak. And Bob Anthony is at the head of that. He's going to join me at 1110 to talk about a big event coming up on Saturday in which you can support the Northeast Ohio Classical Academy and the idea of this public charter school to find a way away from the uh, public school teacher teachers' unions and the radical woke curriculum that they are supporting. Now, having said all of that, I want to start here. This is one of those moments where I think you just kind of have to sit back and watch, and in this case, listen, and just let it sink in and let it soak in and, and, and try to process the insanity of the moment, the insanity of the words, the complete lack of self-awareness that comes with saying something like this. This is the Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer speaking yesterday to a crowd of supporters about his goal of legalizing and creating a pathway to citizenship for every illegal alien in this country. And the most interesting part about this 27-second soundbite you're about to hear isn't even about illegal aliens. This is when, again, you just have to sit back and kind of listen and just... Try to make some sense of it. It's going to be very difficult, though. Listen. Now more than ever, we're short of workers. Uh, we have a population that is not reproducing it on its own with the same level that it used to. The only way we're going to have a great future in America is if we welcome and embrace immigrants, the dreamers, and all of them, because our ultimate goal is to help the dreamers but get a path to citizenship for all 11 million or however many undocumented there are here. Did you catch it? The most important part of that 27-second sound wasn't even the insanity. First of all, it, it is big that he said all 11 million or however many there are here. As if 11 is even close. It was 11 million 20 years ago. And they are coming in unchecked, over 2.5 million in just the two years of the Biden administration. It is more like probably closer to 20 million illegals that are in this country right now. And he wants to make them all legal in order to make this country great, in order to make this country work. 
But that wasn't the big part of the, the soundbite. If you missed it, I'm going to play the first half of it again because, so that you can understand what is just so galling. You know, again, the chutzpah, the temerity that this guy has to make such a statement. Listen again. Now more than ever, we're short of workers. Uh, we have a population that is not reproducing it on its own with the same level that it used to. Did you catch it that time? We have a population that isn't reproducing fast enough. We're not having enough babies. We're not having enough babies to be able to raise them, educate them, and put them into the workforce to contribute to society. We don't have enough babies, is what Chuck Schumer said. Before the day is over, every member of this body will make a choice. Vote to protect the fundamental rights of women across the country or stand with five conservative justices ready to destroy these rights in one felled swoop. For half a century, Roe v. Wade has been the bedrock upon which women have secured the freedom to make their own decisions when it comes to their bodies. Chuck Schumer has been one of the loudest voices of the pro-death movement Some people call it the pro-choice movement. It's the pro-death movement. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. The opposite of life is not choice. The opposite of life is death. That's reality. Look it up in any thesaurus. Look Look under antonyms. Antonym for life is death. Antonym for death is life. Those are opposites. So Chuck Schumer, one of the loudest voices in support of the pro-death movement, is perfectly content and in fact supportive of the fact that there is an average of 800,000 abortions per year, 800,000 babies that would become children, that would eventually become adolescents, that would eventually become young adults, which eventually would become adults, which eventually would become working adults, that would solve this problem that he says we have because we don't have enough workers. We don't have enough workers, he said, so we've got to import them rather than, you know, allow them to survive when their life begins inside their mother's wombs. Our solution to the lack of workers is to import workers rather than to, you know, reproduce. Now more than ever, we're short of workers. Uh, We have a population that is not reproducing it on its own with the same level that it used to. Why, Chuck, is that population not reproducing at the level that it used to? It's because you and your party, and you made this a centerpiece of your platform and your campaigns in last week's midterm elections, are killing all of those future workers before they can ever have a shot. What do you mean we're not reproducing as fast? I think the activity is as fast as it's ever been. There's more reproductive activity going on, i.e. sex, probably than ever before because of the pervasiveness of sexuality, sexualizing children, the access to pornography, the access to prostitution, and all of the other societal ills that we discuss. Sex is happening. That's procreative. What do you mean we're not reproducing? We're reproducing. 
people are having sex. It's just that once they find themselves with a baby, and it's inconvenient for them at the moment, they want to kill it. And they do, with your support, to the tune of an average of 800,000 abortions per year. So we're aborting 800,000 babies per year, then you're complaining we're not reproducing fast enough. In the meantime, what else are we doing? We're teaching young kids to mutilate their genitals, which will also have a very dramatic uh, impact by decreasing the amount of reproduction in society. When your party, and again, it's all your party and your ideology and your movement encourages young males to lop off their penises and become females or some weird combination thereof, when you're telling young girls to lop off their breasts and then have a plastic surgery penis created for themselves, guess what stops? Sexual reproduction stops. So you're telling kids to cut off functioning organs, you're, you're aborting 800,000 babies a year, and then you're standing there before the country saying, let's legalize all of these illegal aliens because we're not reproducing fast enough. Because our country doesn't have enough workers in, in it now and for the future. There are some stories, my friends, that you just cannot write. There are some things you just cannot believe. But that's reality. This is what happened yesterday. A man lamented the fact. A man who supports the murder of 800,000 babies a year is lamenting that we're not having enough babies fast enough. How about that? 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Those are the numbers to join us on Always Right Radio. We're guest free in hour number one. So get in line now. Let's join, let's talk on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Spreading the light of liberty and holding the line against the darkness of tyranny. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Wait a minute, 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 wait a minute. Are we really starting Christmas music on... Yeah, but come on, it's a Christmas song. It's a Christmas song. All of them are Christmas songs like this. We're not doing that. Winter Wonderland? It's not even It's not even Thanksgiving yet. Josh, Josh, yes, that's better. Josh Booth is running our show for us, picking the music. He usually gets compliments from Kirsten now and others for picking great bumper music, but I'm going to rip him for this one. You do know uh, that it is truly believed by many very intelligent people that the reason we get snow in November is because people put their Christmas decorations up before Thanksgiving. It's punishment. We're being punished for decorating for Christmas before Thanksgiving even gets here. That's why we get snow in November instead of starting it in December. And you, my friend, it just probably cost us a blizzard by playing Christmas music uh, on the 17th of November when we're still a week, a week away today, in fact, uh, from Thanksgiving. So, um, yeah, when, you, uh, when you're shoveling your driveway tomorrow, know that it's Josh Booth. He's, he's to blame. 
Not only oh. decorating, not only decorating for Christmas, but uh, but playing Christmas music on this program that early. No, not gonna do it. All right, um, that's fun stuff. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five triple eight two eight one eleven ten. Uh, what's not so fun is some of the stuff that we are hearing coming from uh, Congress right now. The Schumer story is part of the story. The um, Respect for Marriage Act is another part of the story that I'll tell you in a moment. Craig is in uh, Port Clinton. I like Port Clinton a lot. It's a great, great town. Uh, Craig, you're on the air. Go right ahead, sir. Craig, can you hear me? Yes, I can, Bob. How okay. are you? I'm good, sir. Go Go right ahead. Good. Well, I appreciate what you're doing to uh, basically uh, call the left out for what they are. But I just have one additional comment on okay. the uh, your opening segment, how Shermer's, you know, saying about a population decline, which yeah. you, you nailed it spot on with the, uh, the abortion and also the sex change. I think one other important area that they totally support is same-sex marriage and relationships. How are you going to reproduce when you have two men together and two women together? You can't reproduce there either, but they're big supporters of that as well. You know, you're right. That's a great point. That's another element of, you know, the lack of reproduction or the lack of, uh, you know, uh, um, um, what would they say, population increase or whatever uh, that is going on here. That's true. Uh, homosexual relationships cannot produce children, period, point blank. No, yep. there's no in-between. There's no other. I don't care what um, you want to transition yourself to being or anything else. You cannot uh, reproduce unless male unites and, and breeds with female. And that is the reality of it. And you're right. And they're pushing that uh, away further and further every day. Yep, that was my only comment, but I appreciate the job it. you do. Keep it up. Thank you. Yes, sir. Glad you made that point. Thanks. I'll tell you something else, too, that I did not make. Thanks for the call. Uh, I'll tell you another point uh-huh. that I didn't come to there as well, <clears throat> and that is this, that um, what Chuck Schumer just described is what the left criticized and called racist, called the Republicans racist over, and that is the Great Replacement Theory. You know, they call anybody who believes in the Great Replacement Theory racist for acknowledging that there is a belief among many that the white race is going to be a minority in this country because of the uh, increasing influx of immigrants, particularly uh, what they like to call brown and black uh, um, immigrants, and they're outbreeding the white population. So another example of it, literally Chuck Schumer just gave birth to, uh, or gave voice to, I should say, the great replacement theory from the Democrats. And they have been saying this for a long time anyway. But literally, they've actually also acknowledged that this is their goal, is to make this a more BIPOC nation than it is a white nation, that the white majority should become the white minority and be replaced by, uh, quote-unquote, persons of color. And he literally is saying, let's import more illegal aliens and give them uh, citizenship rights because the population growth by way of uh, reproduction is not growing very fast here in the United States. How about that? Now, I, I'm glad. I want to hit this other part, too, since he brought up the uh, union of man and man and woman and woman and how that impacts procreation numbers, right? Let's talk about something I interviewed uh, Tabitha Walter about yesterday, because now it has gone through. And I'm speaking of the Senate bill called the Respect of Marriage Act. The Senate bill, as I described yesterday in the interview that I did with Tabitha, which essentially eliminates the Defense of Marriage Act, which was passed during the Clinton administration, and it codifies, essentially, Obergefell, which is the Supreme Court decision that um, essentially says that states should recognize same-sex marriages. 
Now you may say, well, what's the problem with that? There's many, many problems with this, and I want to hit all of them here real quick. The first one is the obvious, and the obvious is that freedom of religion and freedom of speech must remain unobstructed, uh, if you will. Freedom of speech and freedom of religion will disappear when the Respect for Marriage Act is eventually passed, not only by the Senate, which has already been done, 12 turncoat Republicans, including Ohio Republican Senator Rob Portman, and you knew that was coming. But 12 Republicans joined all 50 uh, Democrats to make it a a 62-37 vote uh, to pass this bill. And once it passes the House and then gets signed, if it does pass the House and gets signed, it eliminates religious freedom for anybody. Now, if you're looking for evidence of that, let me share it with you. Mitt Romney, Mitt Romney, perhaps the worst rhino in the history of the American uh, Congress, uh, and maybe as a governor as well. But Mitt Romney voted, of course, he was one of the 12 who voted for this Respect for Marriage Act, which essentially, and I'll get to the other half of it in a second, Um, It forces people to accept and participate in same-sex marriage events and same-sex marriage um, uh, uh, requests, you know, like the cake situation and the floral situation and the DJs and the artists and all the other things that uh, people of faith have rejected participating in based on their religious beliefs. So Mitt Romney issued a statement as to why he voted for this. Romney said, quote, This legislation provides important protections for religious liberty, measures which are particularly important to protect the religious freedoms of our faith-based institutions. And I'll stop there, because that is exactly what this does. It only protects the religious freedoms of the institutions, not the individuals. This is what Tabitha Walter told me yesterday, and she was spot on. If you work for or attend a church, and let me rephrase, if you attend a church and that is your faith, that protection of the church does not extend to you as an individual into your work life, your private life, your uh, your business life. So if you're a member of a church and your church teaches that marriage is between one man and one woman and nothing more, and you agree with that, and you uh, want to live your life that way, You don't have the freedom, once this becomes law, to tell somebody who says, I want you to participate in my same-sex wedding by designing something for it, creating something, or, or whatever the case might be. Because your membership in a church does not protect you from this law. And in fact, are you ready for this? The Attorney General, this law gives the Attorney General of the United States the right to bring a civil action against you. And anyone, so the DOJ can come after you if you violate the law, as well as a private right of action which codifies the right of individuals to sue bakers, photographers, and others who won't participate in their events. So if you are, right now, like because, you know, Jack Phillips, the owner of the Masterpiece Cake Shop, who was kind of at the forefront of all of this, he was the first case in Colorado, he won at the Supreme Court, but they continue to come after him and sue him. This is going to be the new law for everybody, everywhere, if you don't participate in something, even if it's against your religion. You're not protected unless you are the institution, unless you are the church. Now, that's one element. The other element that I think you need to know about, and this is, this matters right now because we're in the lame duck house session, or uh, congressional session, right? We're in the lame duck session, and... 
It's during this period before the new Congress takes over, and the House is now officially going to be in the hands of the Republicans, in case you have not heard. They've got the 218, still eight races outstanding, so they could be, they could have as many as a nine vote margin, uh, in the House. It'll probably be somewhere around five or six or seven, but whatever. But this lame duck Congress is going to try to get as much stuff done as they can before the Congress changes hands at the beginning of the next year. And one of the things that they're doing is pushing this through. And the other part of this that is really, really important is the language that says the Respect for Marriage Act is, is, has been created to protect same-sex and interracial marriage. And you got to be thinking to yourself, what the hell does same-sex marriage have to do with interracial marriage? Why would they? Why would they throw interracial marriage into this bill? Interracial marriage has never been illegal. Interracial marriage has never been something that is uh, uh, not protected. At least not for decades and decades and decades. Why are they throwing something like interracial marriage in here between a darker woman and a lighter man or a darker man and a lighter woman or or you know uh does interracial also mean interethnicity you know a Japanese man to a a, a, a Norwegian American woman I mean nobody cares one man one woman what they look like or what their ethnicity is is not relevant so why is it in this bill do I need to explain why probably not you're smart But I'll say it out loud, because now anybody who opposes this bill is a racist. This is what they do. It's like the Inflation Reduction Act, which was nothing but a Green New Deal, slimmed-down version that does nothing to reduce inflation, but they threw a little clause in it that caps insulin charges at thirty-five dollars uh, per um, uh, per per insulin dose, and that way, anybody who voted against the massive Green New Deal package is going to be accused of being against lower prices for prescription drugs for for seniors. And you saw it in the campaign ads all leading up to the midterms on Tuesday. Democrat ads saying, so-and-so voted against low-cost insulin for seniors. No, they didn't. They voted against the Green New Deal on steroids, or or, excuse me, slimmed-down version of the Green New Deal, called completely inaccurately the Inflation Reduction Act because it was all about climate change. It has nothing to do with with seniors and, and the price of insulin. Same thing here. If you oppose this Respect for Marriage Act because of one man and one woman in your faith, and that's exactly what almost every faith in the history of the world teaches, by the way, almost, not all, but almost. If you oppose it on that basis, you will be called a racist saying, this guy voted against interracial marriage. Clearly he's a racist. Why did you tie interracial marriage to same-sex marriage? That's why. It's just completely disingenuous, it's dishonest, it's it's Democrat. That's what they do. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five triple eight two eight one eleven ten. But this is dangerous. Understand that. When you've got Mitt Romney out there trying to sell it, 
I appreciate the efforts of Senators Baldwin, Collins, and others to address this concern and heartily support their legislation. While I believe in traditional marriage, he writes, Obergefell is and has been the law of the land upon which LGBTQ individuals have relied. This legislation provides certainty to many LGBTQ Americans, and it signals that Congress and I esteem and love all of our fellow Americans equally. It is not about loving your fellow Americans. It's about respecting the rights of Americans to not have to be a part of something that they don't believe in. Mitt, that's what this bill is about. It is just the continued subjugation of the individual to the whims of the the government, the big overreaching government that will tell you what you can and cannot do, what services you may and may not provide, and to what customers or clients uh, that you may or may not accept. That's what this is all about. 216-901-0945. Dan is in Middleburg Heights. Hi, Dan. Go right ahead. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, I like. Can I switch gears one second on mail-in voting? Yeah. Okay. I, I disagreed with you and a number of other people I've seen on television. It seems like they wanted the Republicans to to get in get into the quagmire of uh, uh, of uh, doing what the Democrats are doing with all this mail-in voting, which you just absolutely have to do away with in our system for all of Americans. Now. The remedy that I found out that I think maybe you're overlooking here is that if you look at Article 1, Section 4 of the Constitution, the times, places, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislatures. Okay? Right. But it also goes on to say the Congress may at any time by law make or alter such regulations. So what you need to do is the current the Congress coming up now? The representatives in January, yeah. they need to put everybody. Uh, they you have to you have to vote for having like Trump is saying ballots, ID, and only one you know one day, which is election day. That's where they're talking about the time, which Can't is already by statute. Can't do it. Can't do it because of what you said. The first thing trumps the second thing, and that is that the state legislatures will set the rules for voting in each of their own no, states. No, you're, you're missing the point. The Congress can override that at any time. I'm reading it right out of the Constitution. The, con- the, Congress, the Congress will never strip the rights from the states. If they do, they federalize elections. If you federalize elections... But that's the Constitution. I'm reading okay. it. Okay. Well, the, you're also reading. You're also reading the Constitution, which gave the states the rights to do this. Do you want to federalize elections? If you tell the Congress, my friend, if you tell the Congress to do what you're saying right now, you give future Congresses the right to change that law and and and, and do something even more radical. You know, if you give the Congress the right to do what you said, Trump. Uh, how did Trump say it? You know, one vote, same day, uh, voter ID. All of which I agree with, by the way. You know, we're on the same right. side of that. Right. But if you give the Congress if you tell the Congress that you want them to do that, the next Congress that comes in that's Democrat is going to not only repeal that and override that, the next one is going to say that, that you can't require. Not that you not only, you may not, but you, re, you are forbidden from asking for an identification. And you are forbidden from requiring people to come in and vote on a certain day. You must give them 30 days, 60 days, hell, 90 days. You must give them universal mail-in balloting. And they have a week or two grace period from the actual uh, election. 
election day that the postmark has to be on. You understand the, the Pandora's box here by, by telling the Congress to go ahead and override what the, what the founders put in place, which is state rights. I, if they I override don't... it, if one Congress overrides it, another Congress overrides that one, and that is something that will never and should never happen. Bob, you have to change the, the, the environment. You, uh, you, we're, we're, we're getting screwed right now. The, the country's being destroyed by these people this way. So you've got to change it. And right, then we're going to we're going to we're going to disagree, Dan, because I'm not going to open that Pandora's box. You well, literally will have... let them. You literally, if 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 a conservative Congress, and by the way, there's nowhere near enough votes on the Republican side in this House. It's going to have maybe a five or six seat majority, and of course we have no majority in the Senate at all. There's nowhere near enough support in the Congress to do something this radical anyway. Just That's so you not know. radical. It's the Constitution. Okay, Dan. Dan, I know what the Constitution says. You're not listening. I appreciate your call. No, you're I not am listening. listening. No, 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 no. You're not. You're not. You're you're you're, you're hung up on one I thing. I know this stuff here. Real. I. I you don't. You don't, Dan. You don't. You, you, you don't. You may know but what the Constitution says. No, you're not. No, you. No, you're not. Let me. Let me talk. Let me talk. Okay, Dan, in fact, ahead. in fact, I'm keep sorry. listening. No, it's all right. I'm gonna, I, I've got to get out to a break here anyway. I'll come back and I'll oh, talk about this on the, the other side. Interaction. Yeah. That's okay. I do too. I do too, Dan. Thank you. But but uh, keep listening. Uh, yeah. It's nine fifty three. We'll take a break and come right back. Always right radio. Okay, it's 9.58. I don't have a ton of time here. I want to try to get this. <clears throat> to the point the last caller was making, Dan, and I thank you for the spirited discussion too, my friend, it's irrelevant. What you're saying is irrelevant. The Congress cannot do this because the Congress doesn't have enough votes. The Republicans do not have enough votes, not even close. It would take a ma- massive miracle in another election or two before this could even be thought of. But here's why you don't do it. Again, it's the same reason they warned the Democrats and Harry Reid not to go nuclear on the filibuster for judicial uh, appointments, for uh, confirmations, because it was going to come back to bite them, and bite them it did. Because Trump's nominees, both at the Supreme Court level and at the uh, virtually every federal level, were able to come in with a simple majority vote. When you change something as massive as that, you allow the next guy to change it even worse or to take advantage of it and do much, much worse. Rather than trying to eliminate it, it's time to embrace it. Allegheny County Republican Chairman Sam DeMarco in uh, Pennsylvania has been trying to figure this out because of the Fetterman fiasco. He saw on election night, after the polls closed, more than 100,000 votes from his home county, just one county, that dropped for Democrat John Fetterman through mail-in ballots. And while he wasn't sure that meant the race was lost, he knew that Republicans needed to fix something because they didn't have any such thing uh, dropping for them. The biggest takeaway from Tuesday night is that Republican attitudes in regard to mail-in voting needs to change. Right now, it's like we're running a 100-yard race against the Democrats and giving them a 45-yard head start. Both parties have limited resources, but while they work during their 50 days of early voting, collecting, and banking early votes, we're just collecting promises to show up on Election Day. It's not sustainable, and Democrats get better at it every cycle. He's right. We can't change the rules. We have to play by the rules, and we have to get better at playing by those the way the Democrats are. 
Thank you for that call. I'm glad to be able to give that follow-up. We'll take a time out now for news, and then Dr. Everett Piper will join us on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Our number two is underway. Thank you so very much for joining us on Always Right Radio, AM 1420. The answer. It's nine minutes past 10 o'clock on a Thursday, 17th morning, 11th month, year of our Lord, 2022. Thank you so much for being with us. And thank you to Dr. Everett Piper for being with us, as he is each and every Thursday, a general in our culture wars, Dr. Piper former university president. He is a uh, weekly columnist for the Washington Times, a best-selling author, and now a newly elected commissioner, county commissioner in his native Oklahoma. Dr. Piper, good to have you back. How are you? I'm doing great. Again, thanks for always having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, we appreciate your insights. That's why we have you on. I want your thoughts on something here. You use two words. I don't want to be Joe. It's two words. American dream. <laughs> that was not good what he did. There are a lot of bad things like going to Idaho and saying, welcome to the state of Florida, I really love it. In order to make America great and glorious again, I am tonight announcing my candidacy for President of the United States. He made it official, did President Trump, two nights ago, as promised uh, that he would. And uh, Dr. Everett Piper, I was reading an article in the Washington Times that caught my attention, and that particular article didn't speak favorably of the notion that President Donald Trump should be running again in 2024. Can you tell me anything about that? <laughs> well, I uh, I posted that article, as you know, this week, and one of the things I said when I posted it is, let the untrending begin. Because <laughs> <laughs> And that happens. I knew what... I knew when I posted it that some of my followers and some of the people that generally agree with most everything I say are going to be upset. But you know what, Bob, before I answer the question and cover this issue of Donald Trump, conservatives should be open to a good argument and a good debate. That's what makes us better, and that's what makes us different than progressives. We do not rally around personalities. We're supposed to rally around, defend time-tested principles. That's what distinguishes us from the left. Um, and we need to remember that during this primary season. And if I lose people on your show or on my social media or from the Washington Times because I dare to ask the question, is our standard bearer, Donald Trump, good or bad for freedom, for the country, for the nation? If I ask that question, am I going to be canceled and silenced by my own? I surely hope not. I think conservatives are better than this. I surely hope we are. So that I'm actually going to write my article in the Times tomorrow on that issue. What makes us better than the left? And what should make us better is a good debate, a good argument. As Dennis Prager says, those that try to silence dissent are lying. That's a quote from Prager. If you try to shut down different opinions, if you silence dissent, you're usually lying, and I agree with that. So how do I feel about Donald Trump? I think he did good things for us while, he's, while he was president. I agree with that. He gave me more freedom rather than less while he was president. 
He surprised me in many ways. But I believe that great leaders recognize that their time has come and they look for opportunity to hand the baton to the next guy that can run harder and better. And I think that time has come for Donald Trump. And I think these primaries prove it. I mean, DeSantis won by 20 points in a state that's supposed to be blue. We cannot ignore that. Uh, I talked about Kevin Stitt in Oklahoma. He surprised everybody and won by 13 points. Conservatism wins. I do not believe that Donald Trump and Trumpism won last Tuesday. And I think the evidence is replete. And I would argue, Bob, that if we nominate Donald Trump as our standard bearer for 2024, I think we'll get found. I think we will get destroyed because you have 50% of the American people that will not vote for him. But we have other proven conservatives on the bench who are younger. They have more energy. They have better skills at communicating with the American people why, why conservatism is better than progressivism. And, and uh, DeSantis is one of them. I'm not necessarily inaugurating or coronating DeSantis, but I'm not going to coronate a king just because his name is Donald Trump. That's not what conservatives do. Let the primary begin. Let it be robust. Let it be energetic. Let the people compete and let the best man win. I don't believe the best man for our time is Donald Trump for a variety of reasons, some of which I just shared with you. Okay, um, so I want to respond in a couple of ways and follow up in a couple of ways. First of all, I agree with you on the need for the debate. Uh, we cannot ca- cast people out because they happen to disagree or happen to think a different way. You don't want to lose followers and readers. I don't want to lose listeners by saying anything similar to what you just said. But I did say yesterday on my program uh, and, you know, that I, I, I do not think this is the right time for Donald Trump either. I think his time was the right time when he did it, and I think the phenomenal response uh, um, uh, accomplishments uh, that he was able to to have during his time there, we should be and will be forever grateful for. Um, but I, too, think right now that I'm looking for younger, fresher blood with the same messaging, but a better messenger, one that isn't as toxic, one that isn't as um, uh, acerbic and isn't going to draw the kind of, uh, you know, hatred and draw us into this, you know, this sort of horrific division that we see now. But having said all of that, can we really say that he isn't the best in terms of generating turnout and generating results? Because while you just repeated what has been a familiar talking point since last Tuesday, that Trumpism lost, um, he's pointing out, and he did during his announcement, that his final endorsement record for this season was 232 wins and 22 losses. Now, I don't know what that percentage is, because I'm not a math major, I was an English major, but it sounds good. It sounds really good. It sounds like the people he chose to support had overwhelming success. So is it as cut and dried, uh, Dr. Piper, that, you know, Trumpism's time has come and gone? I think that's a legitimate question. I don't dispute that. Now, I think one of the responses that we should discuss, or one of the possibilities for those numbers that we should discuss, is whether or not those candidates, uh, for example, Kemp in uh, Georgia, ultimately Trump endorsed him at the last minute. Now, we know that Kemp and Trump are at odds right. uh, in great measure. So uh, who's responsible for that win? Now, those who are pro-Trump listening to me saying, well, you're going to criticize him for the losses he had, and now you're not going to give him credit for the wins he had. I understand. But we have to admit that we lost 
Pennsylvania. We lost Nevada. We lost Arizona. I'm going to argue that we lost Michigan because of this. And all of these states should have been winnable. And I think the intrusion of Trumpism versus the robust conversation of conservatism is greatly, uh, maybe not at fault, but it has to be considered as part of the formula of fixing this. And if we rally around Trump without having a logical, coherent dispute, you know, one of the Proverbs in the Old Testament, in the book of Proverbs, is as iron sharpens iron, let one man sharpen another. Let conservatives sharpen one another in this debate. Let Ron DeSantis, Kim Scott, Nikki Haley, and Donald Trump sharpen one another in a good debate. Let them have this conversation. Discuss those numbers that you just brought up. Discuss the numbers on the contrary side of the fence. But I posted something this week, Bob, from the National Review, and some of my followers on Facebook shut me down immediately by saying, why are you reading this neocon stuff? Come on. Come on. You're not even going to consider an idea from a fellow conservative who's fighting for freedom just as you are because he wrote for the National Review? I mean, this, I mean that'd be like shutting me down because I write for the Washington Times because the Washington Times is owned by an, uh, a non-Christian religion. I mean, I don't even know if people know that, but the Washington Times is owned by people who aren't Christian. Are you going to shut me down because I write for them? I surely hope not. That's called a fallacy of ad hominem. It's shooting the messenger before you attend to the message. Conservatives okay, don't let, do that. Let, let me jump in on that super quick. And by the way, thank you. I, I may have said in my absent-mindedness, I may have said examiner when I meant to say Times before. I don't know if I did or not, but obviously you write for the Washington Times. Um, the difference there is those who came for you on quoting a National Review article or, or writer um, it's not about ownership. It's about the editorializing. Um, th- it was the National Review that started the Never Trump train, if you will. And this was back in 2016, 2015, before the actual election in 2016. They're the ones who put that massive spread out about all of the reasons why no Donald Trump, not now, not ever. Um, I don't know how many of those editors and members of that editorial board are still with the National Review. I don't know if they have retracted any of those things after they saw what a phenomenal job he did as president, because I, I wasn't one of those, quote, never Trumpers, but I was not a supporter, as we've talked about before. I was a Cruz supporter, first and foremost. When he won the nomination, I came full on board, because we had to stop Hillary Clinton, and as he did the things he did in the face of all of those obstructive headwinds, I became amazed at his ability. So I, if I had been any way uh, before that, I certainly would be retracting. If the National Review editors have not retracted all of that, or maybe they've replaced some of those on that board, I can see why people are like, screw the National Review. They have no place in our discussion here because uh, they went all in on never Trumpism and never bothered to retract anything that they were critical of. I, fair enough. I would, only, I would only challenge you and the listeners on one thing. All in would imply every single one of the National Review folks, writers, editorialists, etc., were never Trumpers. I, I would argue that that's not true. Were some of them? Were the majority of them? Was the paper known for that? Sure. But were there dissenting views within the National Review? Yes. yes. And this article that I'm referring to actually spends an entire paragraph thanking Donald Trump for the accomplishments he made, but then says, no, not Donald Trump now, because of what we know to be true. 50% of the American people won't vote for him. 
I mean, that's, come on, I mean, that's a statistical number or a statistical claim that I think can be validated from several different angles. The exit polls, and people are going to say, oh, polls don't make any difference, but we still need to look at the numbers. The exit polls on Tuesday showed that Donald Trump's approval rating was lower than Joe Biden's. We can't ignore that. Now, at the same time, we've got real successful conservative leaders like Ron DeSantis, who takes on Disney in the culture war in Florida and wins by 20 points. At the same time, do you know who the number two donor was to Donald Trump in 2020? Disney. So <laughs> we've got to have a discussion here, Bob. I and did not know that know part, the- by the way. I did not know that part. Let, let, let me let me go back though, real quick, before we take our time out here to something you said a few minutes ago when you talked about you know Donald Trump's failure in uh, Pennsylvania and Arizona. How much though can you attribute to Mitch McConnell, who was the one whose pack you know gave a ton of money to J.D. Vance in, here in Ohio, which I'm grateful for because it helped J.D. Vance win something we needed to have happen. He gave next to nothing to Blake Masters in Arizona. I think Mark Kelly outspent him like some sixty million to twelve million. I think is all they had to spend in uh, uh, in Arizona. Obviously, Dr. Oz losing to Fetterman is just some sort of a strange, bizarre occurrence that should never be and could never be justified, I cannot imagine. But also, uh, it wasn't a great campaign, and it didn't have a, a ton of support from, uh, from McConnell. So how much does the establishment and the GOP leadership, both in the House and the Senate, McCarthy and uh, uh, and McConnell, play in the failure in some of the high-profile guys that Trump did endorse that did not win? Fair enough. Good question. Again, we should be able to have the discussion like you and I are right now. I mean, this is a model of the way conservatives should behave. Agreed. So, um, Trump raised uh, approximately hundred thousand, or excuse me, hundred million or more in his pack. How much did he contribute? Well, you know the answer. It's less than fifteen thousand total out of that entire hundred million. Excuse me, less than fifteen million out of that entire hundred million to candidates. Whereas McConnell raises $200 million and contributes, I can't remember how much, but a lot more than Trump did to try to win these elections. Now, if you're in the back room and you're playing chess and you're trying to figure out, okay, what do the numbers show us in terms of candidates that can and cannot win right now, three weeks out from the election, you and I are going to make decisions to invest in some and to divest in others. So Trump can do that, logically so, and so can McConnell. So I think we need to ask who contributed the most money to Republican wins when you compare the Trump side of the equation with the McConnell side of the equation. We need to start there. I think that's a great point. And to the, to the larger point here, the conversation you and I are having right now is one that has to be had in, in this manner uh, for the next two years. Um, we cannot have DeSantis supporters calling Trump supporters, you know, MAGA cult members, and we cannot have Trump supporters calling DeSantis supporters deep staters or members of the establishment because Ron DeSantis is not a deep stater. He is not establishment. And Donald Trump is not a cult leader and his supporters are loyal patriots. They're not cult members. I think we need to find a way to have those conversations um, respectfully and civilly. The Democrats believe in groupthink. We do not. We believe in independent ideas, and we have to be able to express those ideas again without savaging uh, one another. Um, Dr. Piper, we don't even have time for the break now. Let's just finish this. Let's sp- spend uh, okay. another, two, another two minutes here, and I'll give you the last word. So going forward now in November of 2022, it's still a full two years away from the actual presidential election and a good six months away from really many of the candidates even announcing their uh, the candidacies in the spring or so of 2023. Is there anything between 2022 and 2024 
that could change your mind, that would bring you around to saying, you know what, Donald Trump has picked up a head of steam and has really impressed me, and you know what, let's get him his job back. The primary. Uh, we need a robust, all-in, aggressive, uh, <laughs> gloves-off primary. We need it. I think that's a great thing. I don't think it's a bad thing. People say, oh, you're going to divide the party. No, you're not. You're going to have a good argument like conservatives do, and we'll come out unified behind one candidate if we've got a level head on our shoulders. So we need a primary. That's the thing that could change my mind. I obviously think... Let me, let me rephrase, because <laughs> that's a good answer, and that's a political answer. I'm asking you, is there anything he can do between now and then to make you support him in said primary? Anything he can uh, do, not just again, him winning the primary, but is there anything uh, he can do to win you back is my question. Uh, at this point, it'd be a tough road to hoe because I see the civility, I see the intellect, I see the strategic wisdom of, a, of a Ron DeSantis being superior to what Donald Trump is demonstrating right now in terms of a good... Uh, healthy primary debate. So I'm not going to say no, but I'm just showing my cards. I'm answering you honestly. I lean toward a different solution right now. I think of the old book, Good to Great, which came out in the 1990s, and it argued the difference between good leadership and great leadership. Donald Trump was a good leader, Uh, surprisingly so, but to both you and me. But I'll admit that. And if, if he's the option between a Hillary Clinton or a Joe Biden or an AOC or a Pelosi or a Schumer or you fill in the blank. I'm going to support Donald Trump, but I think that's a risky proposition, and I think we're in danger of losing, a greater danger of losing than we would if we choose one of the younger bucks that are out there that are proving right now to be just as conservative and perhaps more capable of going to great leadership by taking the, the baton and taking the lead, if you will, that Donald Trump has given and then running a faster race in the final length of the relay. That's but- what good leaders do. By the way, I am not 100% certain there's even going to be a DeSantis in the race. I am not I am not locked into that. Uh, because you know what? If you're Ron DeSantis and you're 44 years old, for crying out loud, um, do you want to go against the force of nature that is Donald Trump in two years? Or wait a few more, and, and, it's, and it's an empty, it's an open field. You know, there's nobody with his personality and nobody with his, uh, you know, following and so forth. I mean, it'll be a, a, a real horse race, and uh, and he might just be the head of that pack if he's not the head of this particular pack. So there's no guarantee DeSantis is even in this thing, right? I, I agree. He hasn't announced. I don't know. I can't read his mind. I would say this. I'd be asking the question, if I were him, or if I were you, or if I were anybody else, will we have a country left in four years for him to even run for <laughs> I don't know. That is a very, very fair question. Dr. Everett Piper, read his work in the Washington Times, as always. Doctor, and don't don't unfriend him and don't unfollow him on Twitter. What's the Twitter handle, Dr. Piper? <laughs> Dr. Everett Piper. It's D-R-E-V-E-R-E-T-T-P-I-P-E-R. <laughs> follow him and follow him. We we have debate and discussion as conservatives. We don't just bail out and, uh, uh, you know, whenever somebody disagrees with us. Dr. Piper, as always, thank you, sir. Blessings. There you go. That's Dr. Piper. Follow him on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter as well, at France on Air, F-R-A-N-T-Z on Air, nicknamed Always Right Radio. Find me, follow me, and we'll discuss it there as well, and we'll be back. Always right.
right with Bob France. All right, all right, all right. On AM 1420, the answer. Yeah, buddy. Rolling on at 1037. Don't forget, coming up in a half an hour, we're going to talk to uh, Bob Anthony. Is the answer to the broken Ohio public school system and the far too woke private school system a classical school system? Is that what the answer is? Is it a public charter school like the Hillsdale Barney Charter Schools uh, being pushed forth, put forth by the Northeast Ohio Classical Academy? Bob Anthony will join us. There's a big event coming up on Saturday that I'll be a part of, and Peter Kersenow will be a part of, and we're going to talk about what it takes to build one of these highly or a series of these highly successful schools in Northeast Ohio. They already have one down in Cincinnati. They're in a few other states as well, and this could be the future of saving education because it is in grave need of saving. Make no mistake about it. If you are deluded in any way, shape, or form, thinking that things are going to get better in our public schools, not by a long shot, at least not in any short period of time, it's going to take a while to try to root out those indoctrinators, groomers, recruiters, coercion experts uh, who are inhabiting too many classrooms, trying to poison kids' minds with CRT, with uh, SEL, with um, CSE, you know, the gender critical theory or critical gender theory, which is the same exact thing as the critical race theory in terms of what it does, the Marxist principles of division between oppressors and victims. Uh, it's not going to get any better. Anytime soon, we're going to have to figure out what the alternative is. Is it homeschooling, or again, is it the uh, classical academies, these kinds of things? So, so let me let me just kind of give you a little bit of an idea of how bad it is, and this is the push that we have to make. Um, and I know this isn't Ohio, but just this is the culture. And as radical as San Francisco is, and it's radical. This might be its most radical position yet. San Francisco, the city of San Francisco, is paying monthly stimulus payments to certain residents of that city. And you know what that, know what those, those residents are? Are they veterans who are struggling, barely making ends meet, suffering from PTSD? Maybe homeless? Certainly hungry? Nope. It's trans people. San Francisco tax dollars are going to $1,200 per month stimulus payments to people simply for being trans or some variation of trans. And that variation is really, really varied. First, the details. Then we'll talk about the variations. San Francisco, the city's mayor, London Breed, announced that they will be accepting applications for the GIT, uh, I'm sorry, GIFT program. That's GIFT, Guaranteed Income for Trans People. GIFT program. It started yesterday. GIFT is exclusive to transgender residents and is led by the transgender district. I didn't know they had a district. Guess they do. A neighborhood of the city for transgender people, the program will pay at least 55 transgender residents $1,200 a month for up to 18 months just for existing, just for living there, just for breathing, 
just for being in the city and saying, I like to dress up as the opposite sex. Just for cross-dressing, here's $1,200 a month. Isn't that super? It's so inclusive. Economically marginalized transgender people with unrestricted monthly guaranteed income provided to them as a way to combat poverty that our most impacted community members face, they say. And again, I would love to find out what the statistics are of homeless and economically marginalized veteran people. I'd like to know what those are in San Francisco compared to the transgender people. The Transgender District and Lyon Martin Community Health Services, in partnership with municipal city departments in the city and county of San Francisco, will provide $1,200 a month in guaranteed income for a year and a half. The program will prioritize the enrollment of transgender, non-binary, gender non-conforming, and intersex people who are also black and indigenous and people of color experiencing homelessness, living with disabilities and chronic illnesses, youth and elders, monolingual Spanish speakers, and those who are vulnerable to such as TGI people. I don't even want to know what the TGI stands for. I don't, swear to God. Who are undocumented, engaging in survival sex trades, or are formerly incarcerated, the program's website reads. The program's payments will be both regular and unconditional for applicants to give steady income to those recipients. Let me hit that part again. Unconditional. In other words, if you are a trans person living in San Francisco getting $1,200 in tax dollars from your uh, from the, the employed people of that city, and you spend that money on drugs... No problem. Another check coming next month. Unconditional. (laughs) The mayor's office also stated that in addition to the temporary income, GIFT will also provide other resources such as financial coaching and gender-affirming medical and mental health care. So in other words, they will help them chop off the parts of their body that they don't want anymore. For free. Our guaranteed income program allows us to help our residents when they need it most as a part of the city's economic recovery and our our commitment to creating a more just city for all. We know that our trans communities experience much higher rates of poverty and discrimination. You mean like your veterans community? Oh, never mind them. So this program will target support to lift individuals in this community up. Now, now let's get to just exactly how far-reaching and, and widespread these, these identities are. According to the application to be a part of the San Francisco gift program, all you have to do is count yourself as one of 97 different genders. Catch that? 97 different genders. Now, I, you probably know how I feel about that. You probably know how Pastor Mark feels about that when somebody says that there are 97 different genders. Eight but two genders. Two genders. Ain't nothing but men and women. But you can check the box four. Are you ready? Just, this is just some of them. And these are random, by the way. There's something called transmasculine. There is masculine of center. There is demiboy. 
Demi Boy, I guess it is. There's T Boy. There's Brother Boy. You can be transsexual, gender queer, non binary, that's appropriate, xenogender, femme, femi, butch, boy with an eye, stud, gender outlaw, woo, doggy, gender non conforming, gender variant. Gender fluid. I wonder what the difference is between gender variant and gender fluid is, by the way. You can be bi-gender. Oh, wow, here's a new one. You can be gender blank. And that blank is filled in by the F word. Gender F word. That's a that's a thing. That's a, it's a gender that can get you to... All you got to do is go to knock on the door of city council. Or, I'm sorry, uh, uh, city hall. Mayor Breed Place. Yeah, hi, Mayor Breed. I'm gender blank. I'm gender F-word. Give me $1,200. Coming right up. Omnigender. Polygender. Gray gender. X gender. Mahu. <laughs> Waria. Tidawina. I, I'm just reading, man. I, I didn't make these up. Transfeminine. Feminine of center, uh, center, tea girl, sister girl. I, 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 what do I do with these? This is ninety-seven different genders that San Francisco will recognize that that makes you trans and gets you twelve hundred stimulus dollars per month, unconditional for eighteen months. Now, if you think we're done, how about the pronouns? At the Transgender District Gift Program, those who recognize or those who identify themselves as being trans can use and will be addressed as she, her, or hers, he, him, or his, which is exactly where the list should end. That's it, because you know as well as I do. Ain't but two genders. Two genders. Ain't nothing but men and women. But they can use they, them, and theirs. It. It's, or another kind of it's, co, co, and cause, zi, zim, and zis, z, her with an i, and hers with an i. How do you know if you've misgendered someone if you call them a her, but you meant it with an e, and she uses hers as an i? (laughs) How do you know if you call somebody thinking you're saying it with an i, and you said it with an e? You're in trouble now. You misgendered somebody. There's XE, XEM, and XYRS, which I'm just going to say is XE, XM, and XRs, and shove this up your X rear. Uh, there's EY, EM, and EIRS. I don't know what you call those. EIIIIIIIIP. There's PER and PER and PERS. Fay and fair and fairs. And A and air and airs. And T and T and tears. And V and ver and vis. And then there's an option for no pronouns at all. Just name at all times. <laughs> and they're giving tax dollars away for this just for existing as a psychological patient. And I want to say this very, very clearly. It is exactly that. It is one of two things. Until that music while I make this point, which is important. Anybody claiming this 
is one of two things. They are literally a psychological patient suffering from something called gender dysphoria, which strikes a very infinitesimally small number of people where they're literally, their mind does not match up with what their body is. Their mind cannot reconcile with the fact that they are XX or XY chromosomed, that they are physiologically and biologically and anatomically a male or a female, and their mind can't grasp it for whatever reason. Those people have psychological delusions that deserve nothing but our compassion, our sympathy, and, yes, our wishes for treatment, psychological treatment, not body disfigurement. If the mind is at odds with what the body is, the body wins because the body knows through its chromosomes and its anatomy and so on and so forth what it is. The mind needs to catch up. As I've said in the past, it's kind of like somebody who is a different kind of psychological patient who doesn't think that they're they're the opposite sex, but they think that they're two separate people or more. Split or multiple personalities? We don't carve the body up into two so they can each be, uh, you know, their own different persons. We actually work on the mind and get them to realize that they're only one of them. Right? If there's a debate between body and mind, body wins, work on the mind. That way you don't cut anything up and permanently disfigure someone. So if you are of that side, if you are declaring that you are one of these people who deserves $1,200 free a month because you're trans and you literally have gender dysphoria, you have my compassion and my concern and my prayers for your psychological healing. The only other option is you're a liar and you're a trend setter or you are a trend follower, otherwise known as an attention whore. And I've said this before, too. I will not apologize for saying it, and I will not pull it back. You are an attention whore. What is an attention whore, you may ask? Look it up. It's an actual thing. An attention whore is someone who will go to outrageous and excessive lengths to get attention, no matter how bad, no matter how wild, no matter how out of control, In fact, I'll give you the actual dictionary definition, quote, as a noun, an individual that routinely solicits attention through inappropriate tactics and provocation, and as a verb, to seek attention through inappropriate means or to an excessive degree. If you're running around there dressed up as something you're not, wearing your man bun or wearing your gauges in your ears and wearing your nose and your cheek and your eye piercings and saying, I'm three different species and I'm four different genders and I'm one thing one day and another thing another day and you will address me appropriately by that day's pronouns. And sometimes I might change in a day and you have to address me by the new pronouns that I had that, I, that are different from the ones I had this morning. And if you don't do it, I'm going to report you to HR. Or I'm going to report you to the assistant principal's office. Those people don't have psychological disorders. Those people are attention whores. Nothing more, nothing less. It's time to call it what it is. And it's also time to tell the Ohio State Board of Education and the district boards of education all over this state and all over this country to stop trying to normalize it you're normalizing attention whoring and it's hurting our kids i hope there hasn't been any ambiguity to my discussion here i hope my point has been made clear if you have any questions you know where to find me and i'll be back and when you're out there without care yeah i was out of touch but it wasn't because
I think it's it's very, very, very difficult for for any red wave or blue wave. They were drawn districts. They were drawn districts the same way in 2010. Uh, Barack Obama's first midterm after he was elected in 2008, and we flipped 60 seats. Um, they were drawn in the same way. So it's more that I get your point, but it's and maybe there's a role, a small role that the district redistricting takes. And thank you for the call, my friend. Uh, but um, it's it's a small role, and it doesn't explain how we have had massive flips in power in the past, but couldn't this time. I think there's a different uh, there's a different direction we should be looking in, and we'll talk more about that in our final hour, which is coming up on Always Right Radio, AM fourteen twenty, The Answer. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by Keeping Medicare Simple and the Floor King. You and I know. And do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three underway now. Ten minutes past 11 o'clock on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Thank you so much for being with us. It is a Thursday. It is the 17th morning of the 11th month of the year of our Lord, 2022, and our schools are in trouble. Moreover, our children are in trouble. Equally, our parents are in trouble. They are all connected with one another because the schools are doing everything they can to shut out parents while they indoctrinate and bastardize the minds of our children. And that's true of Ohio. That's true of nationally, uh, school districts around the country. Uh, it is public schools. It is far too many private schools that are also preaching woke curriculum to, curricula to their uh, students. And it has a whole lot of people scrambling for options. One of them is homeschooling. There's nothing wrong with that. If you have the ability and the time to, to educate your child and teach them the multitude of subjects that come with a homeschool full education, sure, that's great if you can do it. But what if the, what if you can't? What if you're looking for another alternative? Maybe the answer is private charter schools. Maybe the answer is the Northeast Ohio Classical Academy, which hopefully is coming soon. Joining us now to talk about this is our friend uh, uh, Bob Anthony. Bob Anthony is in charge, has been, uh, is the president of the North, Northeast Ohio Classical Academy, trying to bring, bring a classical charter public school education for K-12 students to Northeast Ohio uh, by way of the Hillsdale-Barney Charter School model. And uh, Bob Anthony joins us now. Bob, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Bob. Very well. Thanks for having me on. So let's talk a little bit about you real quick, and then we'll talk about what the uh, Classical Academy is all about. And I know we've done it before, but this is for new listeners who maybe haven't heard you and I discussing these things before. And then we'll talk about the symposium that's coming up on Saturday. Tell me about your background. Tell me how you got involved with the, uh, uh, the uh, with forming, really, the Northeast Ohio Classical Academy. 
Well, my background, I'm a retired business person, uh, had a commercialization and business consulting firm focused on healthcare for several years, actually many years. Uh, several years ago, I retired and thought I need to do something. The country, as we all know, is on a tipping point. It seemed to me the best thing I could do to focus my energies was on education. Education, I believe, is the uh, one of the cornerstones of uh, what we need to get back to save our country. It is pervasive everywhere, or it should be, in terms of being one of the foundations for how this great country was formed. So I thought education was, uh, was uh, crucial to what I would do next. I looked around, and lo and behold, three hours down the road was Hillsdale College who has, as I think many people know, and hopefully after this weekend many more people will know, has an excellent program in, in American classical education. It's, a, uh, it's an educational system that used to be. It should be again. Uh, the, the title of our, of our symposium this week, the first word is restoring. We can get into that in a second. But long story short, thought education was critical. Wanted to be a part of that. And it's not just me, it's a whole team of us that have formed around this idea of bringing and restoring classical K-12 education in Northeast Ohio with, with Hillsdale College being our, our partner and many others. Well, uh, as you know, and maybe a lot of my listeners know, um, I'm very familiar with Hillsdale College. My daughter will graduate from Hillsdale in May <clears throat> with her degree in biology. And uh, I'm an enormous fan of their classical education. I'm an enormous fan of the idea that you have here. You mentioned your team. Would you like to speak a little bit more about the team that is coming together to, to help make this happen? Sure. One of our key words is collaboration. That's true not only at the local level, meaning our team, but it also pervades not only Northeast Ohio and the team that we're forming here, but it also is a national team effort. So locally, we've established a board that has seven members and a number of other uh, subcommittee co-chairmen and members and volunteers. Right now, our group is expanding rapidly. Uh, we need more help to round out some of those key positions from a volunteer perspective. But our team has not only myself, but it has uh, legal folks, uh, financial folks, educators, business development people, the basic components you need to basically start a school like this and to start any uh, initiative like this. So it's come together at the grassroots level. It continues to grow. Uh, once the team locally is formed, we need to be cognizant of the fact that we need to do this collaboratively with people in the private sector, people in the government sector, uh, people outside of just Northeast Ohio, nationally through Hillsdale and other organizations to make sure that we get the the uh, education done first, and more importantly, then have these schools formed not only one at a time, but hopefully multiple schools at a time in in places like Northeast Ohio because it's it's sorely needed. Well, so it is, is growing. It... No, I'm sorry. Please continue. Go ahead. The, the team is growing, and the, the the team and the collaboration is the cornerstone of our current and future success. So I invite everybody to. Uh, Join something you're passionate about. In our case, it's education. 
Yeah, and then uh, what what else is there that is more important, in all seriousness? You mentioned um, uh, a second ago, that's when I kind of jumped in there, uh, that, that the goal is to be able to, to build more of these uh, than one at a time and really, really grow and expand this. How, how big is the Bar- Barney Charter, the Hillsdale Barney Charter School family, if you will, already? I, I, know, I know there's one down in Hamilton County. Uh, there's a classical academy like this. Uh, how many are there and where are they? So the Hillsdale Barney Charter School Initiative is about 12 years old. They have various levels of uh, participation in that program, one of which is what we're doing, which is the, I'll call it the brick-and-mortars approach, where we're actually going to have a physical school. Mm-hmm. There's two other approaches. One is online for homeschooling, and the other one is online just for parents that want to know more about the education process in general. But in our case, the Barney Charter School Initiative is about 12 years old, it has right now 22 brick-and-mortar schools. There also is a license agreement available through Hillsdale for existing schools. Those number about 40 or 50 more. So all told, there are about 66, I believe, nationally. In Ohio, there's, there's one in Toledo right now. There'll be another one next year. We hope to open this school in 2024. There's one in Columbus opening next year. There's one in Cincinnati that just opened this year. There's another one in Athens opening in 2024. So there's already six in Ohio. Uh, we expect to have more. Cleveland, as you know, is a big market. There should be and there will be, God willing, uh, more than just one. And we hope to be the first one here in Northeast Ohio around which others can uh, can grow. Bob Anthony is the president of the Northeast Ohio Classical Academy, uh, an organization that is um, an initiative to restore classical education by building these uh, these charter schools. So, Bob, what's really fascinating about this? Some people hear classical schools, and they think, and we have some classical schools in the Cleveland area, and you know they're tuition based. Uh, they're private schools, uh, just like you know the Catholic schools are, and others. And it's uh, you know it's not easy for everybody. But what's unique about this is it's a public charter school that is tuition-free, right? That, that's correct. Uh, classical means, <clears throat> I explain it as a three-legged stool model. It is a classical model in terms of curriculum. That's the first leg. The second leg is civic responsibility, and the third leg is moral responsibility. Those three things coming together, in a nutshell, equal classical. Public means we're a public school. Anybody can attend that's eligible to attend a school in, in Ohio. And charter means we operate outside of a traditional school district under a state charter. Uh, that enables us to uh, not only comply with the state requirements, but more importantly, develop a curriculum, and that's where Hillsdale comes in, that's rich in those three components of the three-legged stool I mentioned before. Because it's public, there's no tuition charged. That is such a, a unique model and such a great thing to hear because I know there are going to be a lot of parents who are going to be very interested in this once the first school is ready to go in 2024. And that's what we're going to talk about in a second. A big step toward that is going to be on Saturday at the symposium. But, but one last one just about the need for this. You, you, you mentioned the, the leg that is curriculum, and that's the most important leg because that's the one that everybody is talking about. Um, because curriculum is changing. Curricula is changing rapidly um, in public schools and even in private schools. And they're implementing a lot of this woke uh, curricula that is that's quite fr- frankly inappropriate. And, uh, and I think most people would agree, uh, dangerous for kids 
and separating from their parents, taking the parents out of the, their traditional role in raising their kids is also a huge, huge problem right now. And maybe that's exactly the, uh, the most important thing people can know about the Northeast Ohio Classical Academy to come. Yes. Uh, if you look at the quality indicators of education, and uh, just one that always sticks out with me, New York Times in October, I believe it was, uh, took a look at Ohio eighth grade proficiency scores. And here's some, some shocking information, perhaps, to some of your listeners. Only 33% of the students in Ohio at the eighth grade level are proficient in reading. Only 29% are proficient in math. Marry that with uh, the, the corrosion and the erosion of morals and civic responsibility that we see pervasive everywhere. I mean, everywhere. That gives you a snapshot of the, the need that we have to try to solve here. And this classical model is, I think, a very good way to try to do that. So uh, a lot more of that will be discussed on, on Saturday, you mentioned. Uh, I'll let you, let's dive uh, into that. Yeah, let's dive into that now. This is very important. We've been trying to make people aware of this over the last few weeks uh, since we came up with the November 19th date. So this is an important uh, breakfast time symposium that is going to be held in Broadview Heights. Uh, I am proud to be a part of a panel discussion that's going to be held as the moderator. Uh, we'll be talking with John Hagan of the Ohio Board of Education, Peter Kersenow, Matthew McGraw, Troy McIntosh, Sue Owens, Phil Schwenk, and Tom Wyand uh, are going to be members of this panel. Tell us what the goal of this uh, of this symposium Saturday is in addition to fundraising. None of this can get done unless the funds are raised. Sure. The title of this symposium, and it is a breakfast symposium, it's this Saturday from 8.30 to 11.30 at the Woodside Event Center in Broadview Heights. The title of the, of the symposium is Restoring American Classical K-12 Education in Northeast Ohio, Problems and Solutions. So without getting into what all those words mean, the first word is restoring. And restoring means bring back to a formal, normal condition. Think of a formal, normal condition as it relates to education. What it was like, at least when I went to school, uh, back in the late 50s, early 60s, it was totally different then than it is now. We're attempting to restore it back to that, that former condition that was certainly normal and should be normal again using the Hillsdale model. So that's the first part. The other part and the main thrust of this uh, symposium is it's an idea exchange. We've attempted to bring together a, an audience that right now, right now numbers close to a couple hundred, which is great. The Hillsdale people will be there in the form of Dr. Katie O'Toole, who will give the keynote address on, uh, on what American classical education is. You mentioned the panel that you'll be, you'll be chairing, Bob. That's a great opportunity to discuss with thought leaders in some of these key areas that, that we think are important to restoring this uh, classical education model, again, with collaboration being the key word, to interact with our school board and other people that will be in the room. So it's really an idea exchange around how we're going to restore to what we used to have, what could be again, and frankly, what is there now in other locations, back to the fact that Hillsdale has these models already in other parts of the country. I want to bring that model here. I want everybody to, uh, to have an opportunity to discuss with us how they can play a part in that. And more importantly, after all that being said, this is at the end of the day, a community-based effort. Community, back to the fundraising piece, has to come together with time, talent, and treasure. 
not necessarily all of those, but hopefully some of those that whatever you think you can do and are able to do, all all help is appreciated. We need to do this as a community to bring bring this education system back to Northeast Ohio. So that's well, the intent for Saturday. Yeah, and time, talent, and treasure are all equally important, but sometimes the hardest one to come by is the treasure, and that's what this is about. We need to raise funds, and uh, there are ways that people can contribute uh, by getting a uh, you know admission ticket or, or registration, if you will, to the symposium on Saturday, a $40 individual entry, $100 for display table space, $380 for a table for 10 individuals to come, and then there are sponsorship uh, availabilities as well. And rather than reading all of those, I'm going to give your phone number. Is that okay? That's perfect. Thank you. 330-571-0574. There's a lot of needy organizations right now, especially at the end of the year, looking to donors to see what they can do to uh, help support uh, charitable endeavors. And they're looking for tax breaks and, and things like that. So if you're a donor and you've got the ability and you're looking for a place to perhaps spend your money, Consider the Northeast Ohio Classical Academy. Call that number, 330-571-0574. And uh, obviously, we would love to see you there on Saturday in Broadview Heights. Same place, by the way, uh, Bob Anthony, uh, to uh, register for Saturday. Just call you or uh, info at NEO, uh, NEO, NE, I'm sorry, NEOCacademy.org, right? Yeah, the best thing is to go to the website, which you just mentioned, Bob, www.neocacademy.org. The symposium is on our homepage. Just click on that. It will walk you through the registration process. Yep. There's a little button I see right now at the top of that page that says register now. So neocacademy.org, and we hope to see everybody there on Saturday morning. Bob Anthony, I know I'll see you there. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing the information with us, and uh, and let's get this thing going, okay? Yes, sir. Thanks, Bob, for your help. I look forward to seeing you as well on Saturday. Thank you so very much, sir. No, no problem. Eleven twenty-five. We'll take our time out here. We'll come back. Always Right Radio continues on AM 1420, The Answer. Whatever tomorrow brings. We've got a better chance of survival if we work together. Together on Always Right. We stay together, we survive. With Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. You know, it's a... Uh... It's a legitimate question about working together versus splintering and that sort of thing. I had a caller earlier this morning who uh, was talking about the only way we're going to stop these, uh, you know, Democrat voting shenanigans and so forth is to get the Congress to override the Constitution uh, and the uh, Founding Fathers' edict that the states run their own elections. Get them to override it. Make sure there's this one election day. Make sure there's a mandatory government ID for uh, a photo ID for each voter, and make sure that um, uh, that there is no uh, early voting or mail-in balloting, except for, of course, the you know military and others who have legitimate exceptions for absentees. And you know, we had a debate, and I started to explain what I was trying to say about why we shouldn't do that. The primary reason is, of course, excuse me, once you. Open that Pandora's box, you get it. You never get it closed again. If a Republican-controlled Congress, which, by the way, we will not have anywhere near the control needed to do what he's talking about, but if they did change the voting rules and say it's only one day and it's mandatory, you know, just being willing to withstand all the slings and arrows and accusations of voter suppression and uh, you know disenfranchisement of minorities and everything else that's going to come along with that, if they did want to do it. 
and did have the votes, and they don't have the votes to do that in the House and in the Senate now. But if they did want to do it, now you open it up to every single Congress that has a president of their party is going to do the same thing, but but reverse it and go further. If you say one day, no early voting, must have a voter ID, etc., uh, photo ID, etc., and then the Democrats take over again and get a majority in both houses and they get themselves a Democrat president, you know what they're going to do? They're going to go so far the other direction. They're going to say 60 days of voting in the history of the planet. All of those things are being reduced to being, you know, antiquated not- notions and ideas. And we need to bring them back. Bring God back into the schools. Bring the nuclear family back as the focal point. Stop trying to buy into the it takes a village to raise a child mentality that the left has continued to foster. That's Marxism, friends. That's Marxism. That's not just a different idea of how to get to the same place. No, that's a way to get to an entirely different place. And it's a dangerous place. So we'll keep fighting, and sister, we'll, we'll continue to accept those prayers because it's that important. And hopefully people will come out on Saturday to that symposium in Broadview Heights and support the charter public school or public charter school idea. Thanks, everyone, for being a part of the show today. Thanks to my team, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Be well, be safe, stay free. See you then. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.